Are you pregnant or a new mother steering parenthood? Pregnancy and birth of a baby is a life-changing event, an event that will make you happy, weepy, frustrated, joyous and exasperated all at once. Hi, welcome to my podcast Baby Ahoy. I'm your host, birth coach and expert Chitra Natarajan. I'm a birth enthusiast who loves drinking cups of chai, taking long walks in the woods and all things interiors in equal measure. I will be talking to an interviewee every other week to discuss birthing experiences, coping with the new role of being a parent and other valuable topics to navigate parenthood. This journey is bumpy but certainly blissful. Join me from wherever you are for a fun conversation. Hi Nadia, I'm very very happy that you're part of this podcast and this particular episode because we are going to be talking about your birth story. But for our listeners, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi teacher, thank you for inviting me to do this. Yeah, I'm Nadia. Um I've been living in the Netherlands for 5 years now mm-hmm. with my Dutch partner. Right. We met when we were both in Italy and then came over here. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and are here for the foreseeable, I think. So uh, foreseeable yeah. for the future. Yeah. 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 I mean, it must be really different from living in Italy to, you know, moving to the Netherlands. And how have you adapted? Yeah, I mean, I was only in Italy for a short time. Yeah. And then I I have to admit I kind of thought that the Netherlands would be more like the UK because sure. it's further north. No, it's <laughs> um, a little bit more closer like, home. Yeah, a little yes. bit closer home. Yeah. Um it it's not it's got its similarities but yes. it it's not but yeah it's um we've made a home here and Good. yeah indeed so what is home and I, you know and we said uk so what is home for you and where's home i would say for me it's always going to be scotland right. is my main home but right. it's slowly becoming two places here right. and scotland because right. this is now my son is dutch and my husband's dutch and i live here so this is uh, there's less of a need to be home all the time now right. for me which is right. a good thing i think i think i was actually um you know i resonate with what you're saying because i was talking to another friend whom i saw after a very long time a couple of days ago at brussels and um she was telling me that you know we when we leave our home and go live somewhere else we always talk about home referring to the other place yeah. right so when we go back to our home we say that you know say back in the netherlands that's my home yeah. or when we say for example for me when yeah i go back to india and i say netherlands is home and when i'm here, here I say India's home exactly you know yeah. there's the duality yeah. and but that's really nice and I think it's very enriching for us you yeah. know to have that perspective and you know have two homes and yeah. I think it's really wonderful yeah I had just that this summer I think I realized that I was doing that that when I was here I was calling Scotland home and there right. I was calling this home and Simon was a bit like which which home oh, are you talking yeah. about <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have two now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it? That's what it is when you are an expat or when you migrate to another country. The perspectives and the growth that we have, I think is enormous yeah. and we sort of underestimate so much. Um, but yeah, I just wanted yeah. to touch upon that. Um, so, I think I just wanted to sort of like start talking about your pregnancy and how you got in touch with me and that was I think end of summer of 2021. So would you like to share a little bit about you know about your pregnancy and was it you and Simon deciding that you know organically this is the time for you to have a baby um so how did it all sort of like fall in place yeah i think having children was something that we both were very 
set on, passionate about from when we met, we were at that stage in our, our lives of talking and thinking sure. these things through. And um, so then, yeah, we decided the time is right and we we now have Lucas. <laughs> yes, indeed. And um, Lucas is now, what, 15 months old? Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so it was very natural. We got married the year before and then it was sort of felt like the right time. Although we also decided to renovate a house mid-pregnancy <laughs> or beginning of the pregnancy. They both uh, coincided together, which I wouldn't so recommend. So they that were going on yeah, parallelly. Exactly. And, um, remember very clearly with very bad morning sickness, getting up in the holidays to go and help try and sand and whatever with oh, builders gosh. and everything around the house. So it was, oh, it was quite... So did, you, did you both live in the house and then you had builders in as well? When yes, you were so yeah. to begin with, we we stayed in our previous home, and then right. after a month, we went in there. But we lived in an attic, okay. um, which we'll get to at some point. But having gestational diabetes, living in an attic, having to control your diet, we didn't have a kitchen to oh, the last gosh. month. Oh gosh! <laughs> I was cooking on a stove. I had no idea. back I'm thinking oh wow and we were lucky it was summer as well because sure. um we would cook outside a lot um but yeah it was it oh was my quite God. There. yeah that must have been really something <laughs> yeah. right yeah so talking about gestational diabetes yeah. so let's talk about your pregnancy <laughs> yeah so yeah. what went on at what point with pregnancy how was it in the beginning and at what point did you find out that you might uh, you know have gestational diabetes yeah. Quite early on, so the I had I had quite bad morning sickness. Right. I think I had seventeen weeks of it, and at one point I even had to have anti sickness tablets. Oh, I couldn't yeah, drink really water or anything okay. for a while. The only thing when I did start to eat, the only thing I could eat was peanuts or chicken satay, no. and I <laughs> can't stand chicken satay. <laughs> You're like I've eaten so much during yeah. pregnancy. Like, Please don't show it yeah, to me anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so. And then I remember going for my 20 week scan mm-hmm. is that, and then that was around about the time that they started suspecting. So it was okay. very early on. Okay. Um, was it because of the baby's growth? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I had the scan and Lucas was looking a little bit big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said that they wanted me to go for a glucose, a glucose test. That's and it. I remember thinking at the time, like, as I said, I'd gone pretty much 17 weeks of not being able to eat at all and then having, starting to feel better and eating and I was eating fruit and I was eating sweet and I'm quite savoury. I right. love pasta, crisps, things like that. Right. And it sounds silly now, now that I know about gestational diabetes, but that thought went through my head, did I cause this? Because oh I was gosh, eating all no. these sweets and all this sugar yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. that it, I've heard so many people saying the same things Yes, and it's irrational, but it the irrational. thought does cross your, your mind. mind. Yeah. Um, so yes, so, so I, there was a bit of guilt on you, which oh, blaming yourself. I think throughout the whole pregnancy, oh, <laughs> one oh way gosh, or yeah. another, there was something yeah. that made you think, did I do not do something right or am I not doing something right is my diet too much was right I too heavy I mean I'm not the slimmest but I'm not overweight no, but no, you I start don't. questioning Every these little things thing. you yeah. know and you yeah. um so yeah there was a lot of those questions and it is 
just hormones and it also could be my genes exactly um, but exactly we, yeah. we you know we have a, a genetic predisposition yeah. to gestation diabetes yeah. or diabetes you know coming from a different ethnicity yeah exactly and we tend to blame ourselves thinking yeah. that you know you're probably overdoing you know something yeah. and that's probably why and I very clearly remember one evening when we met up for the class you were in tears yeah because you know in the middle of the class you had to go and test yourself every time and you were in tears saying that I really just don't know you know what is going on with me because you know I don't really feel very well at all you know sometimes we sort of feel like you know we are we, we, we're being tested in some of those moments and and to you know push us to a limit to a point where we think oh my god I mean how are we even doing this you yeah. know so those conversations I remember but anyway we we will circle back to that yeah so so talk about how you manage gestational diabetes and how was your interaction with your midwives you know, I know you were going to a midwife, yeah. but at what point did you go to the hospital and so on and so forth? So she asked me to go and get the glucose test, which I did quite quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And thereafter, I was had an appointment with the um, yeah the midwife at the hospital, so sure. the medical the clinical midwife, yeah clinical yeah. midwife, yeah. and with the. Oh, what do they call it here? The um, in, internist. Yes, so, yes. you know, yeah. the sort of doctor. Yeah, the, medical the, internal yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had that on the day. And I would have to say that the most of the care and things I got was great, but communication right. wasn't. And I, I didn't yeah. really understand what was happening. I'd never heard of gestational diabetes. I think one of my colleagues, friends, she had it, but we hadn't talked much about right. it. And Apart from her, she was the only person I'd heard about it from. Right. Now I know it's much more common, common. than Indeed. I had Indeed. I'd known So it then. just sort of feels like, you know, you're pushed in the dark and nobody was actually yeah. giving you the right information at the right time. Yeah. And and if there is miscommunication, then it becomes even more harder because you're never really sure about, you know, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I think that was one of those, you know, breaking points when you actually, yeah. you know, you were in tears that, after, that evening saying that I'm not really sure because, you know, my doctor is saying one thing and my midwife yeah. is saying something else. Yeah. So how did do you resolve that situation well I think at the beginning the as the person that was covering at my midwife practice had given me the information and she basically said yeah diabetes you need to make an appointment with a, a nutritionist and at the hospital and right. that was it yes. and I kind of did that right. went to the hospital and then they were giving me another scan and that scared me because mm-hmm. I was like, well, why do I need another scan? Well, sure. I, I'm someone who needs a lot of information. Sure. I'm very, um, I like to be in control exactly. and the more information exactly. I have, the, the better I feel. This was how many weeks of pregnancy? Uh, this was about 22, right. 20, really early yeah, on. Really yeah, really early on. Yeah. And then the clinical midwife said to me that because I had been diagnosed with uh, gestational diabetes so early on, I probably had diabetes before I was pregnant. And this Mm. was news to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I I don't think that. I never had any symptoms. It's never come up before, et cetera. Anyway, so she said that. And she said, and you will need to have insulin and you will need to have a hospital birth. And I said, but why you know I'm not on insulin just now why anyway so so it just sort of felt very permanent yes the way they sort of communicated exactly it It was very much like this this is what we've seen in the past this is what will happen and it was a very negative prediction of of the future and of the past and 
I went to the internist directly after mm, mm. because that was the discussion about whether I would stay with this clinical birth plan then and have everything at the hospital or whether I could go back to my midwife in, right, in, in the community. Yeah. yeah. And I went to the internist and I said, you know, this is the conversation I just had with the midwife. And she said, it's not really true. Yeah. She said that, yes, there is a higher chance that you will need insulin yeah. um, because you were diagnosed earlier. We see that the hormones, as the hormones get heavier, as you get um, more pregnant, more pregnant. Right, exactly. When in. you're further along in the pregnancy, yeah, yeah, indeed. exactly. Yeah. yeah, then there might be but because your pancreas are overworking at that time. Exactly. Yeah. And she said, but nothing like that is set in stone. And she said, and just now, there's no reason to say that you need to be in a hospital uh, clinical setting if you want to be with your community midwife please go to your, Great. back to your community midwife. Yeah. I think that was very clear. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that was really good. And then I had it's um, another test that they do, and it's called a HBC1 or something like right. that. And it tests your average glucose. And I have no idea how it works, but it works over a set of months. Hmm. And that showed that I clearly had not had diabetes before, before so right. this test which I find quite <laughs> I, I'm always like wow you can tell this information from one test at one period but they they could tell that I hadn't had diabetes before. Oh, fantastic yeah. so it was in that the, it was a bit of a speculation by this clinical yes. midwife at the hospital thing that you know you probably had it before yeah. and that's probably why you've been actually yeah. you know have you have gestational diabetes you know early on in pregnancy so so that was clear so, yeah you know exactly. she probably was just speculating it was wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know yeah. she mean meant, she meant well, well but yeah. in all, all that really happened to me was it caused a lot of fear for me yes and yes. um so the next thing I was I was at work and I got a phone call from my midwife saying I'm sorry to hear that you're going to be having a clinical or yeah no, you're going to be at the hospital yeah right. and I, I said I'm not I'm I've got an appointment with you next week and she said oh well, we've just received a letter to say that you are now on insulin and you're going oh my goodness. to be... Oh, wow. Yeah. And was this from the hospital? Or yeah, from the, oh, the midwife. The from clinical the clinical midwife. midwife. Oh, my God. So they didn't communicate, the clinical midwife and the internal medicine No, specialist. they had, because my inter internist yeah. had phoned down to the, the midwife downstairs and said to her basically what she'd said to me because I went back downstairs just before I left and she said look I've spoken to her that's fine we'll sign you back to your community yeah, yeah. yeah. oh my so goodness so it was yeah. very bizarre right. and I again was very upset and a bit anyway so I said to them you know this isn't true and I I said I want you to find out why this information has been misconstrued and yes. I, I'll have my appointment next week so when I went the next week, Simon came with me and I told them all this. And I took right. quite a long time of saying, no, but this is to. my experience and this is how I feel. And they were really good. They really listened to me and they understood that there were mistakes made, which, mm -hmm. which happened, but they shouldn't have been made. And now we need to go forward with more clearer communication and more and yes. not 
you know. Yeah. So this was not with the community midwife. This was at the hospital. No, so this was the with the community the midwife, midwife that I had the the discussion with. Right. But about the whole, just the whole from the diagnosis, great to the miscommunication with the hospital. Everything we yeah. talked about. So everything. you basically sort of like cleared out everything so that because you, if you still need to continue with them to have that continuity of care, yeah, then you need to sort of you know clear this this whole chaos that was yeah. going on because that was not definitely giving you any sense of comfort. No, isn't no. it? Yeah. 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 So, you know, and and going forward from that, that's that's what happened. It yeah. did go better. And then it was just a case of controlling everything with my diet and right. I was very very strict about what I ate and how much I ate and to begin with I had to test five times a day mm-hmm. every I think it was an hour and a half after every meal. And then, as, so that was like a clockwork. Huh? Yeah, to make sure yeah. that everything was just yeah. wow. Yeah. And being in a classroom and having to nip out to do right. these things all the time was was quite. I mean, my school was great and really su- uh, supportive, but it was a lot, a lot to to juggle imagine. doing doing all of that. And then, as my figures stayed stable. Mm-hmm. They moved it to every two days and then every three days. Oh, good. And, so know. it was sort of like a tapering sort of a thing, yeah, you know, you exactly. could, it could go down. You know, yeah. Because you were very strict with how you were actually yeah. managing your food. Yeah. 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 And yeah. yeah, now you have to actually share, <laughs> how did you manage to do this without a kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was very... I learned a lot about how you had to balance your carbohydrates with your proteins and your fats mm-hmm. in order to manage your sugar level. It was also about kind of eating smaller portions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, as I said, it was also lucky that it was the summer. So we would we would barbecue um, outside or we had a gas stove um camping stove right and I would you know make a, a stir fry or have some eggs and, oh, and things yeah. like that and yeah. then yeah I was very careful with my carbohydrates right. so that was something that yeah. I so you ate a lot of salads and you know balancing yeah. the protein and salads yeah. and you know rather than actually focusing too much on the carbohydrates yeah so I and but it's also about finding balance because you need the carbohydrates yeah, because, because you, you need, need energy. energy yeah exactly yeah. So what I did find out, which I was always, which I was really happy to hear about, was that the potatoes were better in terms of for your glucose than rice and pasta. And I love wow. rice, being half Iranian, of we eat course. a lot of rice. Yeah. But I love potatoes. I think that's the British side. <laughs> so, so you know, I would I would often have potatoes as my carbohydrate right. or low carbohydrate bread or you know things like that. So. I was careful about the carbohydrates I chose, what I mixed it with, and the amount that I had. And it wasn't always perfect. Right. And there were times when I did spike my blood sugar mm. and I felt guilty and terrible. Gosh, and <laughs> the guilt and the feeling terrible, of, you know. <laughs> my goodness, that never yeah. leaves us, isn't no. it? We always feel guilty. We never enjoy that meal. And then we feel like, I don't know why I did that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And we're only human and we yeah. do make mistakes. And it's just one of the things that might happen. But um, like, well done, well yeah. done without, you know, having a kitchen and to be able to actually manage all of this. Did you have a good dietitian? I only saw the dietitian once. Mm-hmm. She was very informative, but I, as I said, I'm a bit of, I'd like to get information. And <laughs> one of the things I would say, and I mean, it's very, maybe 20, 21st century was Instagram. So yes. I found a few dietitians on Instagram right. that were very specific with gestational diabetes. Oh, fantastic. And 
I learned a lot through them and had meal plans with them and and that gave me the confidence to sort of figure it out on my own and it was about Brilliant. finding a pattern mm-hmm. so the times that my blood sugars did spike I very much analyzed okay what did I eat what did I mix and sure. then the next time I made sure that that wasn't it so slightly less carbohydrates or I remember one time I'd had potatoes and green beans with fish or something Mm -hmm. and then realized that green beans is a lot of carbohydrate. So it was a bit of figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. So it's more about trying something and then doing an elimination and then you're trying to see if you can substitute with something else. Do you mind sharing those Instagram accounts with me so that I can put on the show notes? Yeah. So I'm sure somebody else who's actually listening to this podcast (laughs) will actually have, you know, some resource that they can actually fall back on because there are a lot of dietitians around who talk about it. But it's also understanding Understanding our ethnicity and yeah. giving you the right sort of information and you know sometimes it's bread is not what we normally eat and it could be rice or if it is you know or pasta but instead of that how can we actually have more potatoes I mean things yeah. like that you know just yeah. to find the right you know source for us to be able to be well informed so that you yeah. know it becomes easier so yeah why hypnobirthing <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was a combination of I think Simon and I like to be as natural as possible in, sure. in, in many ways, although we're always in the middle of that sort sure. of thing, I would sure. say. Sure. And then this experience. So the experience that I had very early on in my pregnancy, I had gone from I'm going to have a hospital birth to there's no way I'm having a hospital birth. Right. And I think it was a combination of I'm secretly an introvert <laughs> and I couldn't tell Nadia that's a secret right um, and the thought of being in new places with people that I don't know sure really makes me nervous right and the I get thought you. of being vulnerable in those places also makes me nervous so the more I thought about that side of the mm. birth mm. M- made it harder for mm-hmm. me and I'd always said that I didn't want to have pain medicine if I could help it and that I would also accept if I did need it but I would didn't want it if I could help it and being in the Netherlands it's one of the best places in the world for that because they are so that is their philosophy it is about supporting the mother and it's about the home birth and and not having medicine it's so part of the culture exactly yeah exactly so it's not that you're fighting the system to have a home birth it's about just the culture of you know following it and going with the flow of what you know, this country has to offer in a lot of ways. And that's how you sort of said that, you know, you're going to try hypnobirthing. And I also remember both you and Simone, both of you were very into, you know, doing your practices, your breathing techniques, because, you know, you were going through a lot of these things with your gestational diabetes as well. And I think you were very prompt in sort of preparing yourself as well, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that it was, it was about having those tools to understand what was happening and and to prepare yourself and to think about it and mm. and i think that all those things that that thought of preparing and calming and and yeah that all fitted with it and then yeah. what helped me the most was about finding what i could do what i was able to do finding out my options understanding everything a bit deeper yeah. asking these questions and 
really before I gave birth, I felt really prepared right. for almost anything. So right. that and that, that was very much through the course. And, and there was so much I didn't know. Mm. But you don't know what you don't know. Indeed. <laughs> you know? That's what it is. Only when you start talking about it or attend a course or you start reading a book. I think when you start collecting this information only then you realize that oh gosh I had no idea that yeah. you know there are the all these different options that are available or on the other hand also to sort of think about whether I have the option or not what are my rights and how I can prepare myself or to even ask questions you know yeah I think that's very important if we don't know what to ask yeah then we, we are at a loss. So yeah. for that, I think the course definitely helps in preparing yourselves a little bit more in terms of the awareness and also being assertive in certain situations so that it becomes easier yeah. to navigate some of these uh, you know situations. So at what point, um, I'm going to sort of reveal the secret, you ended up having a home birth. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you decide? Because in, there was no pressure from the midwife, from the community midwife or from the hospital asking you to consider hospital birth. And at what point did you say that it's going to be a home birth? Um, how was that, you know, going towards the last, yeah. the last few weeks of pregnancy going towards your birthing time? So that, again, is quite... A different story, I would say. So the there was times where I had so Lucas went from being too big to too small. And Gosh, because you <laughs> were really small head <laughs> and going back to the hospital, and then them saying, "No, his head's fine." And then you know, it was I. I yeah. felt like it was a bit back and forth. I, I I remember saying just before he was born, "I do not want to see this child again until he is born because of the amount of scans that I yeah. had to have." Yeah, and. The more that I went through the course, the more I wanted a home birth. So I think I came to the course initially was about not wanting the pain medication, wanting to be more informed, wanting a more natural process and that sort of thing. And then the more I went through it, the more I wanted to have them at home and the more that mm. that became strong for me. And then I, but I didn't think that I would be allowed because of the gestational diabetes mm. Also, because the Dutch have rules about where you can be in your house when you, you have them. And we live in a four-story house and was in the middle of a renovation right. at, at the time. <laughs> so we could yeah. have it on, uh, on the, the ground floor yeah. or something, but it would have been so much preparation whilst we're doing this renovation. But my midwife would listen to me and say, you know, I know you said that we, you want to go to the hospital or the birthing centre, but when you talk, that's not what I hear. I hear home birth. And she said, I just want you to know that at any point, if you decide you want a home birth, that you can. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So as much as you were sort of talking about, you know, but I might not have an option, so I'm going to, you know, go with the hospital birth. Yeah. That was really nice of her to sort of like understand your emotions and yeah. what you wanted so that, you know, she actually prompted this yeah. know, for you. Yeah. And she was very much like, we'll go wherever you want. But remember, if you do want to, we can organize that. You can have a home birth. That's amazing. And yeah. And then as it got closer to it, my gestational diabetes was completely under control. And I knew that that was very unlikely to be a problem. But the problem became about where I was in the house and preparing the house sure. for this birth. Sure. And it was more about, I think the house was ready about two or three weeks before Lucas was born. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I sort of said, okay, well, it's it's too late now. 
And then it was actually on the day that we decided to stay at home. Wow. Um, so I, I went into labour, I think. So you went into labour naturally, spontaneously? Yeah. Um, no, I ended up getting stripped. Okay. It and was how the, many weeks? Yeah. It was the day that I would have had to have gone on to mm. discuss about being induced. Right. And I thought... It was two weeks late, and I thought, well, I'd rather do this than then than go in be induced. So I, um, I remember talking to the midwife about, you know, really don't want to be induced, and she said, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try our best for that not to happen. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so then I I was stripped, and that day right. um, stripped twice that weekend, mm-hmm. and that day I went into labour. Labour. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and on that particular day, but you were also sort of ready for the fact that you might have to go to the hospital with your hospital bags and everything else. But that particular day, once you went into labor, you just said, I'd like to stay back. Yeah, so I was at home and I think I went to to labor at one o'clock, just just sort of normal contractions. And I remember saying to Simon, I want to go to the garden center because I want to get stuff for Christmas in case... (laughs) (laughs) I know what it was but I wanted some Christmas decorations in case we didn't get the Christmas decorations after he was born so we went to the garden you were determined so we were walking uh, do you guys think about it and laugh about it this way I think a lot of the birth the the pregnancy there are bits that I'm like really you know it it is a a comedy but But I also think that you know that's also your way of coping with what was going on and you just wanted to sort of like you know just no I'm just going to go ahead and do that and yeah. you know, not think too much about what was happening. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I remember we have a photo of us in the garden center with our mouth, mouth mask on, yeah. like, and I was having contractions every so often and buying these ridiculous Christmas decorations <laughs> that I'm like, okay. Did you tell Simone that you were having contractions yeah, at the time yeah, when he knew? Yeah, oh, yeah, he knew. bless him. <laughs> Did he feel nervous at all? Did he tell you anything after? No, he didn't. He's never said anything about oh, it. I think wow. he's very good at, at trusting me and sure, vice versa and sure. listening to sure. each other. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was that. that was that. And then we went home and I remember... We watched a movie, we Fantastic. we got some food, we went walks around the block every so often and that was when I would hear, uh, I would feel it getting more. We went to bed and Simon slept and I slept off and on and then sometime in the morning mm-hmm. I then said, okay, I think we need to phone the midwife. midwife yeah. And she came and I was on my ball mm-hmm. um, in the bedroom and she said, she said, you look like you're in the first, you're still in the first stage of labor. Um, and she said, I can come back in four hours and check on you. She said, I can check how far along mm-hmm. you are now if you want. I said, no. So she went away. And then I think three hours later, and then I, she said, if you want to go for a bath, if you want to go for a shower, just, just do, just do what you feel. Yeah. And the sack was intact, you were not leaking no. or nothing else. Yeah, okay. And uh, she said, so then I went for a bath later on. I don't know at what point, yeah. but I decided to go for a bath. And then it became heavier. And then right. I said, I, I want you to call her now. Yeah. I'm not sure how, is it, <laughs> how, it, yeah. how it is. It feels heavier. So Simon called her. And then I remember getting out the bath to go to the bathroom and my water burst. And I mean, the what you see in TV, 
a pop explosion that I had like one by I heard this pop and I thought oh my goodness if I squashed his head <laughs> it's like what? because everybody had said to me it's not like that it drips it's this exactly this. But, but it's so no. different from one person <laughs> yeah, to the other exactly <laughs> you did hear this a pop was, yeah big big pop and right. then and then she came and I I was in the bath and she came in and I remember that all of a sudden the lights were off, the candles were on, there was music playing and Simon had done all of this and wow. I hadn't noticed a thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he basically just set up the whole room, the yeah. bathroom yeah. in a place where it's really nice and calm and oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So he just, he we had talked so much about what we wanted, what I wanted and he was always really nervous. I, mean, I think he said it to you one time when we were doing our fears about not knowing what to do in the moment or exactly. not doing the right thing. Exactly. I remember and, that. Um, and in the end up, he just did. And I didn't notice what he was doing, but he did the right thing. That's amazing. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. so he was prepared. That's, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, I won't lie, I remember it being the most painful thing I have ever experienced and I have problems with my hip and that's my biggest regret that I didn't do something about that during the l- pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and I had a lot of pain in that, oh, that in hip. In that day, yeah. yeah, in that hip, yeah. And I remember saying at one point to my midwife, um, Okay, I think I I can't do this. I'm going to... uh, No. When she walked in the door, Mm -hmm. I said, this is really painful. Um, And I said to her, but I don't want pain medication. I I don't want it. I don't want it. And she was like, okay, no idea. You know, because I was so... I knew at some point I was going to say I wanted it. And I wanted to make it very clear to her that I I didn't. And she was like, okay. And uh, later on, I said to her, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to need pain medication. Let's go to the hospital. And she said, well, I'm telling you now, if you want to go to the hospital, we can go to the hospital, but you're not going to be able to get pain medication because you're you're too far. And at that point, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And I remember you saying about that that was when you sort of know you're in the last stages. Yeah. And I thought, oh. Okay then, <laughs> I'm nearly there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, but I said to her, what do you mean I don't need to go to the hospital? She said, well, uh, um, what do you mean I can go if I want? You mean I can stay? And she said, you, you can stay if you want. We'll stay here. You don't need to go. And I was like, oh. And the second she told me that I could stay, I felt better. I was right. Because the whole time through this, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to get out the bath, get ready, go go to the hospital. Exactly. The whole thing of like, you know, getting ready physically yeah. and wearing your shoes and your jacket and everything else to leave. That's that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it requires a lot of stamina and yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, no, she said, if you want to stay, we'll stay. So I thought, great, we'll stay. And that doesn't mean that I didn't continually say, so how long now? <laughs> Of course. How long now? Yeah, exactly. When's it going to be born? Yeah, of course. And a lot of the times mothers also say things like, I didn't sign up for this, you know? Yeah. I really want to sleep now. I don't know why you're making me stay here. Yeah, you know? And um, I remember saying sorry a lot. Like, oh. sorry, I, I was I was being sick at one point. I remember yeah. saying sorry, or I was in pain. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like this. And, you know, I remember people say, what I would say about it is that, 
you know, yes, there was a lot of pain. Yes, it was this crazy, instinctual, animalistic experience that I had never thought of. And being a secret introvert felt quite self-conscious of, but in that moment, you you can't. You, you can't. Yeah, it's just who you, who you, you are. are. And coupled with these moments of, like, highness this 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 and and when people talk about the bubble I'm like really there is a bubble and you can't describe it Mm. it really feels like you are yeah you you are on a natural drug so to speak exactly exactly because you start focusing a lot of things internally because you need to cope yeah so you don't know just as what you were saying that you know I hadn't noticed anything that Simone had done that's because you, you you're not you're not outside, you're not being logical, you're not, the change in consciousness that happens to a mother is very primordial. Mm -hmm. You can't explain it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what you were going through at the time. You are high on your natural drug, but at the same time, you want to say something or you can't or you can't communicate, but you're just there. Yeah. You know, just going through that moment by moment of whatever you're feeling. And that's you know, that's really powerful. It's yeah. really empowering. Yeah. It really feels like you're on top of the world, but at yeah. the same time, it hurts. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, and that's what I've, I've said when people have asked me about it since then. I've said, I, I'm not one of these people that's going to tell you the story where it's the most amazing thing in your life. But I also won't tell you that it was the worst thing in my life because it was the most amazing thing, but also the most painful thing simultaneously. And, and yeah. I would do it all again. And it's just... Yeah, it is just such a, a difference. It, yeah, it, it has... it's such a dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Isn't it? Yeah, it's just that you know you feel fantastic, but at the same time, you are experiencing something so intense. Yeah. that you can't explain it. No, I mean that's also the reason why a lot of the times people say that you know mothers tend to have you know subsequent pregnancies because you don't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you've actually done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but that is the concoction of all those hormones. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also remember after I gave birth to my daughter and I felt on top of the world. And then after a few hours later, I was like, oh my god, what's going on with me? I feel like a truck has run over. Yeah. <laughs> I was so exhausted after yeah. that. But yeah. that that those moments of, you know, the strength and the power and also to sort of feel like oh, I can actually do this. Yeah. This is my body and yeah. I am actually doing this. Because I also remember my mom after I gave birth to my daughter saying that I really didn't think that you're going to cooperate with the doctors because sometimes the doctors will actually say because I gave birth to my daughter in India and having an OBGYN usually you know it's not very dignified you know Mm. in some situations the doctors or the nurses might actually even scream at you if you don't actually cooperate like what do you mean by cooperating you know they might they'll say oh you need to you know you can't you can't say anything you can't scream or you can't shout or you can't vocalize anything Mm. I mean people have different ways of channelizing vocalizing whatever comes you know as energy and whatever strength that you actually derive from it and I was like why would you say that to me (laughs) with my mom and she said oh gosh Chitra these are things that would happen in a hospital room where mothers would be treated in such with such disrespect and I said no no that's not what happened with me and I was in control of what was going on with Mm. me so I did feel extremely powerful because I had done something the sense of achievement but it's also not easy (laughs) no no exactly yeah and and that you know what you're saying about the the way that a woman deals with it and this the screaming or the the whatever I remember my neighbors turning around to see one and said 
I heard that it was quite the, the, I don't know what he said, but basically it was very clear. They had heard me in labour. And I remember afterwards being a little bit embarrassed and Simon being Dutch maybe or very he was yeah, like why not what? that that was just it, it was it was yeah. you and it was it, it was it's yeah. fine because yeah. imagine like you were giving birth to your baby yeah the baby is here and you know I think they were so lucky to even like you know <laughs> witness something like this you know what I mean yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so then how, how did it all go so, so yeah yeah so from that moment on, we were we stayed home and I was in and out the bath and things. But Lucas wasn't coming. So he mm. had not made the second turn oh. and he was coming. He was sort of pointing more towards the back, I think. Right. Okay. And he was he was kind of stuck. Right. And the midwife said to me at one point, okay, you're going to have to go into active pushing. Hmm. Um, and Did she have a birthing stool or something for you? Yeah. Or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she'd said to me uh, about, yeah, that I would have to go into active pushing. And I think in the meantime, the Kramsorka came in, but she'd sent her out to wait outside. And then I remember her helping me into my dressing gown and say, we need gravity to help now. So... At this point, it started getting a little bit scary because he wasn't he wasn't coming. We were at home, and I was thinking he was there, but not there. Right. And she said, "I keep seeing him coming and then going back up, coming right. and going back up." Right. And uh, so we went into the birthing stool into mm-hmm. into my bedroom, and again, it, these things. I, I remember thinking, "When did this happen?" So I have a white carpet in my bedroom and they had covered the entirety of this carpet with towels and blankets and things wow and, okay you know not I was not aware of any of this so they, all, they set it all up yeah yeah wow. everything and I went in went into the birthing stool and then was in active pushing and she said because before that I had been on all fours mm. in in the bath in the bath yeah, yeah. And then... So it was your own bath? It yeah. Not, yeah. No, it wasn't. No. Uh, yeah. yeah, because yeah, it because was kind it was of ad hoc. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It was the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, we went in and then she she said to me after a little while, she said, okay, five more pushes. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to have to go to the hospital. And I remember the thought coming across my head, like, how am I going to get down the stairs and to the hospital when he's practically here like I just couldn't imagine it and at the same time thinking oh maybe it's better we just go now then because what if he's even further and then still stuck so I I think I tried three more times and then I said maybe we should just go to the hospital now because I got afraid and Simon said no he said we're going to try I think three more times and if he's not there by the third time then we'll go and later he said to me he had had the same thought that I had, like, how are we going to transition you to the hospital now? And he said, but I'm not, <laughs> I wanted to ask her that when she said, suggested it. And then he said, but I'm not going to say it out loud sure. at, at this moment. Sure. Maybe it was also her way of trying to tell you that just do it so that we don't go. Yeah, but maybe. You, know, I, you, know? I, you know, yeah. anyway, by the second push, his head was out. Yeah. By the third, he was, he was out. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. But unfortunately, he wasn't breathing when he was out. So that was the next sort of scary moment. And she put him on my chest and she was, it was kind of 
crazy and amazing what she did with him with her hands and she was very instinctive like moving him around in all sorts of ways which was obviously to try and and get him going and the whole way through she'd been listening to his heartbeat and it had been fine and um so then she she put him on my chest and was rubbing him he still didn't come around so she took him with Simon into his bedroom uh, Lucas's bedroom And again, she had apparently set up this whole station where it had oxygen, it had, I don't know what else. Yeah, they would have like oxygen resuscitation unit, you know, with the baby's clothing and everything else that, yeah, that's also the role of the chromosome. Yeah. To make sure that that's all ready so that, you know, as soon as the birth of the baby happens and they can actually quickly check the baby and if everything is okay and, you know, yeah. So I had no idea about any of this and Simon neither had noticed that Mm -hmm. part and he, she took Simon with, him and the cramsor helped me sort of get up into my bed and I remember her sort of shouting through can you hear his heartbeat Nadia um great so she was can you hear yeah Yeah. she's like can you hear can you know you can hear him listen to it it's strong it's good whatever and talking through what she was doing and then someone ran back through to my room and I remember saying like just go be with the baby and it took three minutes, but it's the longest three minutes of my, my entire life. I'm and, sure you were feeling guilty. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. But one of the things, I, I missed this bit, one of the things that they said to me at the hospital was with the risk of gestational diabetes, there is the risk of stillbirth. Right. And it is very minimal. And certainly in these countries, I think it's almost non-existent yeah it tends to happen where there's not the medical care where they don't precisely the the right kind of care at the right time exactly where the child grows too big there's that that sort of thing but they had mentioned that to me so now he's born not breathing at home when you know I'd had all this should I have could I have him at home or not this was my choice to have him at home so all of a sudden I was like oh my goodness I've I've you know killed my baby like I've made the wrong choices because um and and he's not breathing I mean now I know none of that is true Mm -hmm. but that's what went through my head at that time of course but it was just he he had got stuck but it was nothing to do with the gestational diabetes it was nothing to do with him being at home it was just one of those things they think now potentially my pelvis is quite small and that's just always going to be that way. Right. So she, three minutes later, Lucas was in the room and on top of me. And it did take a week for him to really come round. He mm. was quite sleepy. He didn't feed very well. Because he'd also gone through the journey of yeah. the intense thing and also being stuck in the birthing canal for a little while and then the birth. So so that's why he must have taken a little bit more longer. Yeah. But when you're there in those situations, that must have been really hard for you. Yeah. yeah. And the midwife said to me, it's just taken longer to land. That's yeah. all. She said, some people just take longer to land. And she was amazing, like absolutely amazing. And I remember thinking... Yeah. I was in awe of her after That's this amazing. experience of just how calm and strong she knew what to do and she did it. And I felt very safe with her Fantastic. and heard by her. And I just remember thinking, like, you're super. 
It's just, and, wow. And, and also the way she communicated, you know, thinking about you and saying that, you know, the baby is okay. Can you listen to his heartbeat and everything seems to be okay. And and she didn't forget you when, yeah. you, when you know, when she was actually focusing on the baby to make sure that, you know, Lucas was okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's just, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. They are really super women. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 did, they just know what they're yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. And she didn't panic even a moment and she just said, well, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And do you remember after the birth, at what point did you clamp the cord? Did you clamp the cord? Did the midwife do it? Or No, so she had, because of the breathing, she had to do that quite quickly. quickly. Right. Um, so that wasn't as much as what sure. I would like, but she cut it very, very long, okay. I remember. Okay. And I remember then Simon, after Lucas was with me, then cutting it, it, clamping yeah. it. Um, but yeah, she had to do that quite quickly so that she could take him. And then they had, she had to clear his lungs and give yeah. him a little bit of oxygen yeah. to yeah. to sort of or or air to open up his lungs. See, sometimes what happens is that babies are actually born with a little bit of water in the mm. trachea, right? So because it took a little bit longer for him to come down, I mean that's what I think must yeah. have happened. Yeah. So his airway passage didn't clear up for yeah. him to actually start breathing well. Yeah. That's probably what you would have done. Yeah. Um, this is something that they do even with C-section births. One of the first things that they would do is to take the baby and then you know you use a little tube to clear out their trachea so that you know they can start breathing really well because they don't go through the mother's birthing canal that's probably why it took a little bit more longer for you know lucas to actually start breathing and she must have just given a little bit more of oxygen yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. um yeah and as i said then it, it did take him a week he was very lethargic we had moments that it was mm. a bit nerve-wracking that week he had a little bit of jaundice but they tested him and again it was a scary moment of yes um but it was nothing and he, yeah. he was home and but then it was like a week later just all of a sudden he was just fine and and he has you know been fine ever since and Brilliant. I, Brilliant. I said yeah. to yeah and I said to the the midwife after that that it was almost exactly a week later on the Monday that Lucas just perked up and was just absolutely fine and she said well often when you hear that babies have a strong heartbeat all the way through the labor even if there is something like with the breathing that because their their pulse has been fine mm. they they make a quick turnaround turn around. Yeah. yeah no yeah. that's amazing so, yeah. yeah yeah the crumbs off with you when this was going on how did she help and support you because you know simone had to be with the midwife and the baby and you must have had those scary moments for that three yeah. know, three minutes and feeling did you receive any sort of empathy and support from the crumbs org and what went on at that point in time yeah. Do you also remember what went on with your placenta? Yeah, um, she um, she stayed beside me and I hadn't given birth to the placenta yet. And um, I remember her staying beside me. Um, she was, you know, asking me if I was okay, sort of. And I just kept saying, I just want to know that Lucas is okay. Is he okay? Is he okay? And she she just stood beside me and reassured yeah, me. You yeah, know, she, yeah, that's the most she, important yeah, thing exactly. to do at that point yeah. in time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, as I said, three minutes later, which now when I think about three minutes, it, it's so quick, but yeah. then it was not. Yeah. And then he was there and um, 
again, then Lucas was on top of me, Simon was with me, and they they clamped uh, the cord, and she took pictures and didn't realize she was taking pictures, and you know all all these little things they just did right. But then they did induce the placenta. So they asked me if they could give me oxytocin. And she said because she was just worried that if we waited in case of bleeding and such. And it's always something I've questioned in hindsight. Like could have waited a little bit longer. But because of everything we'd been through, we were just like, uh, no. I mean, originally I had said, no, I won't do it, won't do it. But I thought I've had him at home He's healthy now. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's let's here. Let's just sure. let's just so that we can all just calm, you know, settle in sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. So that she gave me a shot and then the placenta was born very uh, born. <laughs> I gave yeah, it, it is, yeah. Uh, very quickly. Yeah. I remember her showing it to us and apparently my placenta had a mini placenta oh, in it or something. Like, oh, wow, there were two placentas yeah, there. Yeah, oh, wow. like there was the big one and there was a small one inside. Oh, wow. I, I, Simon asked a little bit more about it, but I was kind of like, oh, that's nice. There's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now I think, oh, I, that say, sounded quite interesting. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I said that I didn't want to keep it that sure. was fine and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, and do you remember how long did she actually stay back for your midwife when after you know you guys sort of like settled in and um normally we also sort of expect the mothers to go to the toilet and urinate and then you know you know the crumbs off will help you with the shower and all of that do you also remember if you've had a lot of blood loss or what went on and also did you have any sort of tearing yeah, yeah. so she stayed for at least over an hour because I remember that they left us. They mm-hmm. left us in the room and I had Lucas. Um, I d- was doing skin to skin with Lucas and Simon yeah. and I were just in bed and they went downstairs and then they came back a little over an hour. Mm. And then she said, because he had not been breathing and, and so on, and he had a, still had fluid in his lungs. Mm-hmm. You could hear it. So she suggested that I get him dressed to keep him warm to to get shot whatever so we did that and then she checked him over she checked the his reflexes yeah, with, the yeah, with, the, with the walking things. yeah with the feet reflex yeah and then she she went and the crams or stayed with me because by that point it was he was born in the afternoon mm. so the crimes or stayed with us till the evening okay. of that day. Um, and she helped me get a shower and, and things like that. And I, I don't remember there being any significant blood loss. Right. I do remember the exhaustion that I had never expected to feel. And it took me a few days. I remember yeah. about three days. I think the day Sheila got to us, because mm. we changed crimes or twice, right. That the night before something was the first night I had really started walking around the house and I'd started sorting out, resorting out Lucas's room, although he only started sleeping in there a few months ago. <laughs> so, you know, um, resorting that out and then just being exhausted from it, just yeah. and thinking, wow, but yeah, obviously your body goes through quite, quite the thing. Um, it's like you've run two marathons. Yeah, yeah, yeah total, just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And tearing, no, I I didn't need stitches. Oh, good. Um, okay. There was a little tear that she saw to begin with. And then when she rechecked, she said, 
it's not bleeding anymore if you don't want stitches and I said no um oh, so yeah which oh, was perfect. great yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah. that's really that's really really good and also your experience with with the Kramsorg and you know you and I know the Kramsorg mm-hmm. Sheila my friend your friend as well now so how was it having someone there to help and support you because in no other country that this service exists like a maternity nurse who actually mm-hmm. she's like Mary Poppins and she yeah. just come and like <laughs> help around and you know sort of like help you transition into yeah. parenthood so how was that experience for you well i don't know if you remember but do you remember i really didn't want a crams or yes i, was I like, remember that i don't you, want this that was one of the things that you house. actually told me yeah that i don't want you know i don't want to have another third person in my house yeah. and you know i'm very private and we're very private and i was like no not you you might need somebody at the time yeah you know, let's just wait and see yeah no and and So I would say that, you know, it ended up exactly that. I did need somebody. And I had the first person was there for two days or three days. Mm-hmm. She was lovely, really, uh, really lovely, lovely lady. Then, unfortunately, I had a middle person for a day. Yeah. We didn't click so well, so sure. it was probably quite good that she was only there for, for, one, yeah. for one day. Yeah. And then Sheila came and I have to say that I think Sheila came at the moment that I probably needed her the most and apart from being Scottish, Scottish so yes. that that was like oh wow and you know uh, being from the same area of Scotland oh, as fantastic. I um by that point Lucas hadn't been feeding for four days or so and I had got obsessed with trying I, I with really wanted to breastfeed him I, I, you know? yeah. I was pumping every two or three hours I was feeding finger feeding him through a tube because I didn't want to give him a bottle he was still losing weight and yeah it was just it, it was really intense time and the crimes work before that had been a little bit more we're just going to put them on we're just going to you know and being quite hands sure. on right. and i remember the next day thinking that's not what i want and that's how's that for lucas and yeah. being very upset about it and Sheila came and she said okay we're going to stop yeah we're going to stop trying you can still pump you can still finger feed but he just needs time we just need to let him rest let him come in and that must have been a relief for you yeah it was i think it was two things there was the fear of but if i stop is he never going to sure. do it and also the okay now at least this the let's everyone breathe and we did that i kept finger feeding mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. because that i was very stubborn about and said <laughs> no i'm going to keep doing that i remember I remember her walking in in the morning i'd be sitting there with my cup of coffee feeding Lucas with the pump on and just like yeah. you know yeah and that's what we did we stopped and then on she was there for three days mm-hmm. and it it was great I mean I needed her for someone to talk to for someone to sort of explain things to me and, and just to reassure to, you yeah, yeah yeah definitely and then obviously it meant that Simon and me could cocoon a bit more and it was yeah in the end it was when I think about my sister mm. and that she just came out of hospital and just got on with it and then I think oh wow how can 
people do that you know like it's definitely yeah. hard you know yeah. I don't yeah I think it's really really hard yeah. to sort of like have a, a normal seat back as soon as you've given birth because you're exhausted you really need to cocoon inside yeah you really need to have a moment for yourself not a moment plenty of such moments yeah. to be able to sort of be because you will be a little bit more reflective but I'm sure you know it's not always you know easy that way because people around you have moved on because mm. the baby is here but you've had that intense experience and also you know coupling with you know the 3 minutes that you sort of went through so for all of that you need somebody like a pillar to sort of tell you it's okay we can talk and it'll be yeah. all right you know so yeah. you know having that kind of support with a crumzog um is is amazing and yeah. what was particularly great about Sheila she had been a midwife and and i was able to ask her so as i said i am someone who needs a lot of yes. control i need information to feel that yes. way and i i got the right person at the right time That's and someone amazing. who managed to slow me down and stop me which is what i needed and what lucas needed and then support me in getting back to where i wanted to be and i still breastfeed lucas now that's and that's 15 months later it's not easy it's still not easy at times but i'm so proud of that because yeah. it was that stage where i didn't think that i would be able to yeah and and now i still do it's so, amazing yeah. yeah yeah and after the cramzog the time that you know she spent with you for those 3 days and you know in total for about a week how was it for you did you ever have to see a lactation consultant or anything else yeah so the monday was the last day that sheila was with us and i was entitled to more time because of my experience and she offered it to me and i remember saying something like i love you but i need my home back now yeah. and like i just needed that feeling and she was i get it and yeah i've stayed in touch um but that morning the lactation consultant came and she lives there and the lactation consultant was there and lucas latched and Amazing. she helped me and i was just <laughs> like and then i think she also was able like, i can go, go now, now you know yeah. like um she felt like you know her role was done yeah I, again so it was save. the right time and yeah. yeah so lucas latched and it also hasn't been it wasn't just all of a sudden it was hmm. it was just n- normal whatever that is but yeah i had a lactation consultant that had got through the cramsor mm-hmm. agency and she came out i think twice i went to her as well at one point even just about pumps mm-hmm. when i was going back to work okay. and yeah i i've had so much support around me i still think when it comes to breastfeeding there's a lot that we don't know and a lot yeah, we need to find out indeed. to support women yeah. um but i think in terms when i think about my friends experiences in other countries uh, that i had the best experience That's of it or the yeah. best help indeed yeah. yeah yeah i think getting the right help at the right time definitely yeah. sort of like improves the possibilities of you know breastfeeding for a bit more longer because it comes with its own challenges and yeah. um there is no one size fits all no. for breastfeeding completely yeah. my next question was about you transitioning back to work because yeah. you're a teacher you took a break for maternity and all of that how has it been for you to be able to transition back and i know that you did take a little bit more longer of your maternity leave how yeah. has it been for you and also for lucas to yeah. sort of like you know to be at the daycare maybe yeah yeah, yeah. I'd say it's quite mixed. I went back to begin with 3 days a mm. week. Mm. Um and 
that was double. So on the one hand, it was nice having those extra days with Lucas, but being three days at work, I felt like I'd only just get started and I'd be off again. And I found that very difficult. I remember originally I was going to go back straight after the state maternity leave and then being really upset and saying, Simon, I can't do this. I can't, yeah. I can't leave Lucas. And I don't find being home very easy. Yeah. But leaving Lucas, I, I just felt I couldn't do that. You were not so, ready. Lucas no, was not ready. No, yeah. exactly. And I, I emailed my boss and said that and she was great. She said, that's fine. Sort She sorted it out with me and I took longer. And when I went back, I think it was it was the the right time for yeah. us both. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think going back three days and transitioning um, for a couple of months and then building that up, although mm-hmm. it was hard for me, as I said, with the balance of being mm. at work and getting anything s- substantial done, it meant that by the time I went back, I now work four days. He was 10 months or something like okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you gave yourself and also Lucas a little bit of time before yeah. you actually transitioned back you yeah. know, as four days a week. Yeah. And when I went back, I was only back for a couple of weeks. That's the luxury, I suppose, of being a teacher. I was only back for a couple of weeks and then we were on our um, May holiday. Oh, good. And then I was back for a couple of months and then we had six weeks off. And yeah. then I could come back and really get into it. back into, yeah. into work. Yeah. 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 And then... Starting, I started a new role in in that time, so that also meant that he was a bit older, and I yeah. could really, you know, yeah. give myself into this role. And right, yeah. right, of course, of course. Yeah. I know we are really, you know, at the very end of our conversation, but I wanted to talk to you about postpartum a little bit mm-hmm. because you know, with all the struggles and things like that with breastfeeding, how did you cope with postpartum blues, or did you have postpartum blues, or did you? talk about what you were going through with your emotions did you go to a therapist or you know how did you and and Simone as well have these conversations because this is something that we you know spoke about in class as well yeah how was it for you as an experience well the one thing I'm saying I think that it's not spoken about very much I remember at times being very angry after Lucas was born Yeah. yeah and it wasn't severe is what I've heard from some people but it was it wasn't pleasant and it was often or more than often aimed towards Simon yeah in terms of oh why haven't you done this or you haven't done this right or act now and I remember something as well that I hadn't expected when Lucas cries it's like physically painful for me mm. and I remember it just being about we have to do what we can to calm him and if it just it hurt it was just Mm. and I remember saying to one of my friends why why didn't you tell me it would hurt when he cries like I can't you know I couldn't bear it and even now I find it difficult but I'm better with it Mm. but I remember feeling very guilty and very Mm. ashamed of the fact that I could be so irrationally angry at Simon for things and it was only after speaking to a few friends and they, and my sister, because I remember speaking to my sister about it and them saying, well, I felt like that or I've had friends that felt like that. And then I thought, you know, that side of things, you, you do hear about the baby blues, but you don't hear about yeah. that side of exactly. it. And Simon and I talked about it recently and I said, he said, yeah, you can really tell that that was your hormones because I'm, I mean... 
Iranian Scottish. I'm fiery. I'm not going to, <laughs> to deny that. I am, I am fiery, but this was different. This, this was, was different. I yeah. was angry. I was, he wouldn't be able to do the right thing. You know, you're not acting quick enough. Lucas needs this or whatever it, it what, is. Whatever it was, yeah. And, you know, and I would be very emotional about mm. it. And it's only now that I realize that it was my hormones and that mm. was okay. And actually, People need to talk about that indeed, more. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. But then how did you and, and Simone talk about it then? Because it must have been a bit more harder for Simone to even approach you, to talk yeah. to you about it, saying that, gosh, you are being... See, um, when we think about it, when we are in the reflective mode, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you are there, when you're going through something that mm -hmm. way, it becomes even more harder, you know, for your partner to be able to sort of like, you know, accept that. So how did you overcome that barrier? And how did you approach this topic to be able to have a conversation? I think it was a combination of things. I think we're always been the kind of couple that we do talk these things through. That's amazing. We, as I said, we are quite different characters. I am quite fiery, emotional person. So we do talk about that in, in general. And he is generally quite a calm person, mm, mm. but a strong person yeah. at the same time. So we, we do talk about these things, but... In that time, obviously, it wasn't just the normal being nippy or being a bit moody. It was that I was I was angry, I was hurt, I was upset, yeah. you know. And at sometimes the silliest of of things. And I think it was only when I spoke to my sister about it and then I could go to see one and say, well, my sister says she also feels this. And then it made us both aware that it was something that we were going through. And then mm. we talked about, okay, how can we manage this and part of it is we realized this where was my own guilt and my my need to get things right and wanting everything to be okay for Lucas and the other side of it is what you hear from other people yeah. so I've said Lucas is a terrible sleeper and there was all this he has to sleep yeah you know the these these rules these sleep training these and people comparing and people telling you and I had one friend and my sister, who were both, they're quite, I'll do things my way. Sure. And, and I was like, oh, but if he doesn't sleep every hour and a half, or if he doesn't sleep every two hours, then this is going to be detrimental for him. And Lucas would scream at me and get, you know, frustrated. Mm. And I would feel like I was failing. And it was only when Ceylon and I sat down and said, you know what, we're going to do this our way. If that means feeding him, if that means rocking him, if that means bed sharing once we felt comfortable Indeed. for that. Indeed. And then that made things easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are some of these, you know, whether it's sleep training, co-sleeping, you know, or, you know, breastfeeding, formula feeding, whatever it may be, what works for another family will not work for us. No. And just to sort of have that awareness and to sort of say, forget about everything else, let's yeah. do our way. Yeah. I think definitely eases out that pressure. Yeah. You know, when you, when you sort of say, we're just going to do this and we're not going to be even bothered yeah. because we have immense guilt anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we sort of start, start taking things from the outside world as our stimulation, then it becomes even more harder. Yeah. But that's really nice that, you know, you were able to actually speak about this and have the awareness and, and to sort of say, okay, what else can we do to make our lives a bit more better? Yeah. And to sort of have that equilibrium is, is really good. Yeah. 
I think we're at the end of this uh, <laughs> this episode, but I wanted to just ask you if there is anything that you would actually tell our listeners, you know, if somebody who's pregnant or who's going through gestational diabetes or they're expecting a baby without any of this, what are the few things that you would say for them to prepare themselves for labor and birth and also for postpartum? I'd say, firstly, inform yourself so that you you know as much feels makes you feel strong and confident about right, things. Right. And don't be afraid to ask questions. And and just because somebody says this is the way it normally happens doesn't mean that's the way it has to happen. And then ask for help. I mean yeah. I had a lot of people helping me. Yeah. You know, I got there because I had so many people helping me. And then but with that, take what advice fits you because yeah. you know and just because somebody else does something that way doesn't mean that that's right for you and it doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong yeah um and and trust because I think that that's one of the things that I found so hard at that time was I doubted myself there were people who would say oh you do that why do you do that and uh, or you should do this and that made me lose trust in myself mm. and that was what made me become afraid which what made me become irritated at sure. Simon because, because he's the only person like in the room that you can be, actually yeah. show exactly yeah. and also it feels like somebody's actually challenging you yeah. and you don't have anything else you know sometimes yeah. you know it's also about trial and error you have to try a few things before something yeah. actually works out but if somebody's going to tell you oh, but don't do it this way you need to do it that way yeah. it feels very restrictive yeah so I think so going with the intuition and be confident and trust yourself yeah, in exactly. making some of these decisions because yeah. that's probably is the best yeah right? definitely yeah. and stock your fridge and freezer up yeah there you I, go I, <laughs> I had, we think we lived for about three months off of our freezer. That's amazing. So you cook so, everything yeah. and then you put it in yeah. the freezer because you would be hungry. Yeah. And especially with breastfeeding. Yeah. My goodness. And I, uh, I cooked all the things that wasn't allowed to eat when I was, had the gestational <laughs> diabetes. I remember the day that he was born sitting with a cake and a, a <laughs> bit of pasticcio, this uh, Greek pasta dish. And um, yeah, so amazing. stock your freezer up with, with all the things you want to eat. Um, afterwards and even I had soups and things too sure yeah we lived off that for ages and that made life so easy because we didn't need to think about it food at all yeah that's amazing great Nadia, thank you very, very much. Thank Thank you you so much for taking so much of your time to actually be part of my podcast and also to talk about all your experience in detail. And this is definitely something that, you know, people, this episode will definitely help a lot of people because I'm seeing more and more mothers having gestational diabetes. And then we always sort of have just this one path that we need to take. And now as part of my podcast, I have two stories already with mothers having home birth with gestational diabetes. Oh, wow. Great. So this is the second one. So um, I'm really happy that you said yes to my invitation to be part of the podcast. So thank you very, very much. Thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners, for tuning into my podcast. I hope you found this episode informative. If you really like my podcast, then please do subscribe for more such episodes. Please feel free to share the podcast with your family and friends. And this will help others know that this podcast exists. Thank you once again and see you all next time.